from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, the President's Commission on the U.S. Supreme Court held a virtual public hearing yesterday. If Congress can simply add new justices when it does not approve of the jurisprudential direction of the court, the institution will become little more than an arm of the uh, legislature. It was former federal judge Mike McConnell. It's not just conservative legal scholars, those that are warning against court packing. So are governors. 20 Republican governors sent a letter to President Biden earlier in the week urging him to reject any court packing recommendations. We'll be joined by one of those governors, Georgia's governor, Brian Kemp. We'll be here in just a moment. And both Russian President Vladimir Putin and Chinese Communist leader Xi Jinping appear to be emboldened by America's present leadership, both issuing challenges to the U.S. By the same token, we will never allow any foreign force to bully, oppress, or subjugate anyone who would attempt to do so will find themselves on a collision course with a great wall of steel forged by over 1.4 billion Chinese people. That was the communist uh, leader, Xi Jinping, yesterday at a national event marking the 100th anniversary of the Chinese Communist Party. Are Russia and China becoming greater military threats to the U.S.? And if so, what is giving rise to this foreign aggression? We'll talk about it with Florida Congressman Mike Waltz later here on Washington Watch. Also, the Supreme Court issuing a ruling today that is a major, and I underscore major, victory for election integrity. Jay Christian Adams joins us with the details. He'll also give us an update on election integrity efforts that are taking place in states all across the nation. Encouraging stuff. You don't want to miss it. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on the free speech platform of Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. And let me say thank you. Thank you to all of those who participated over the last couple of weeks as we were coming up to the end of our fiscal year. And you called and you made a contribution to stand with the Family Research Council and with Washington Watch. As I've said, we receive no government money. We're here on over 800 stations going across the country, almost 800 stations, and other platforms going across the country and around the world because of you. And we're your voice here in our nation's capital because you stand with us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Um, today, well, actually yesterday, the uh, the president uh, in his uh, presidential commission on the Supreme Court held its second meeting in what is to be a series of six meetings to hear from expert witnesses and to discuss a broad range of reform proposals, including the expansion of the number of justices on the Supreme Court. Now, they're also looking at the establishment of term limits and the reduction of the court's power of judicial review. The 36-member commission was formed by President Biden back in April in charge with producing a report analyzing the, quote, principal arguments in the contemporary public debate for and against Supreme Court reform, end quote. But many believe that the end game for this effort is to add more seats to the court. As proposed, by the way, by House Democrats in a bill that was introduced less than a week after the commission's formation. Now, court packing 
dominated yesterday's hearing, and rightfully so. It was also at the center of a letter sent to President Biden on Tuesday by a group of 20 Republican governors who made very clear to the president that any recommendation to expand the court should be rejected outright. Joining me to talk about this and more is one of those governors, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. Governor, welcome back to the program. Hey, good to be back with you, Tony. Thank you. Well, uh, Governor, I want to get to uh, also that Supreme Court decision, which I think uh, affects you today in terms of uh, election integrity. But first, uh, as uh, read, reading just the first line of this letter you sent to the president, as governors, we oppose any attempt to increase the number of justices on the Supreme Court of the United States, in short, court packing, or increasing the number of justices to manipulate the court's decisions would be unprecedented, unproductive, and unpredictable. Any response from the president thus far? Not that I've seen. Of course, he hasn't responded too much to really a lot of the political moves that they're making up there at the Biden White House, the Biden administration, whether it's with, you know, court packing, the the dangerous, really even thought of that to manipulate the legislative process. That would be never ending if they ever did that, depending on which party was in control. I don't think anybody that's reasonable thinks that's a good idea. But they also haven't really responded to the election. Integrity Act that we passed and, you know, the ridiculous lawsuit that his Justice Department has filed against us when they couldn't get H.R. 1 or S. 1 passed that was an unconstitutional power grab of elections at the federal level. We had your attorney general on uh, earlier in the week discussing that lawsuit that has been filed uh, against you. But I would think that uh, the news coming out of the court today in which the court, and I'm going to get into this in more detail later, folks, uh, with Jay Christian Adams, but the court essentially upholding Arizona's law that had to do with ballot harvesting. And uh, as I appreciate it, this uh, it deals with the same section of law, which I think the DOJ has come after you on. No, exactly. I think it's a very strong ruling. Um, I know Christian can go through the legal weeds of that probably more so than i have i haven't been able to read the the ruling yet but i got a quick briefing earlier today on it and i think it's great for not allowing ballot harvesting um it also is going to make sure that you know in arizona which is the same in georgia that people have to vote in the precinct where they live uh you can't just go to any precinct anywhere and demand a ballot uh that creates a lot of problems for the election worker workers and the integrity of the election and we addressed that in our our recent law and those are all good signs that the justices i think approve of the state making up their election laws and i think both arizona and georgia and a lot of other states have gone through a really meticulous process to do that uh, with the bill that we had recently in georgia and that's nothing new tony we've done that you know for years, decades in Georgia. You know, we did that. We had housekeeping election legislations after a lot of big elections. When I was Secretary of State for nine years, uh, we certainly did it again this year after we, you know, had a, had some issues in the, in the, with really the mechanical issues of the vote here in Georgia because of COVID protocols and, and just dealing with the pandemic. And anytime you have changes, we had change in voting equipment. You know, you find out things that you need to address, and I think the General Assembly did a good job of really doing a lot of due diligence to address those, talking to local elections workers in the process, our citizens, 
and obviously as a you know former secretary of state i had some strong thoughts on what we needed to do i've always run on secure accessible fair elections in georgia and making sure it's easy to vote and hard to cheat and that's what our bill does and i think most georgians agree with that well and so do uh, most americans by the way uh, they Correct. think that right. elections should be fair. And, and this is I'm, every and I'm sure you hear it, uh, but I hear it as I travel across the country. Anytime I get to a and a session with uh, groups that I speak at, one of the things they ask is, how will we know that our vote counts? Because you know what? I just don't know if I should vote if my vote's not going to count. And what you did in Georgia and what, uh, you know, 40 ever, 47 other states attempted to do, I think about 14 have actually been able to move bills forward is critical in reassuring the American people that their vote will count. Well, that's right. But you also, you know, again, the political side of this with the Biden administration and Stacey Abrams and a lot of these activist groups, you know, they called our legislation Jim Crow 2.0 because we were going to use a voter ID requirement on absentee ballots. Yet when Joe Manchin has that in the compromise bill at the federal level, they're okay supporting it, you know. Nobody likes hypocrisy in politics. They just want people to be honest with them. Um, our bill, I've been honest with people. I've done you know, probably close to 90 interviews now talking about the details of our bill, answering every question that's out there. And you don't see the other side doing that. They just give a sound bite saying this is suppression, this is Jim Crow, uh, this is bad for minority voters. And that's just not true. Minority participation has increased in Georgia over the years. And Georgians realize that and they support the voter ID requirement and they support having secure elections. Even a vast majority of the Democrats want that. I mean, it's the American way. Right. And I and I think this uh, this court case, I've, I've not been able to uh, dive deep into the actual opinion, but in skimming through it, it appears that it could help Georgia because rather than the opponents just to be able to throw past uh, you know, could be past factors on the wall, hoping they stick to prove that you have uh, bad intent. They have to prove that this law would, in fact, affect the outcome of participation, which is a higher standard. Well, we feel good from what we know about it. I mean, we'll certainly have this, see how this shakes out the next several days. But regardless, it's Arizona, and my focus is on Georgia and defending our bill, and I know the Attorney General and our team of lawyers is ready to do that and very confident in the steps that the General Assembly took. And, you know, I'm confident, and that's why I signed that bill, and we'll see them in court. Well, um, and, I, and, and I hope you prevail because uh, it will benefit uh, states all across the nation. Uh, one final question for you, Governor, uh, back on the issue of the Supreme Court, because obviously uh, a lot of what the states do ends up in court and the courts have become a real problem. I know this from my past as a state legislator, having the courts overturning and uh, doing all that they do to, to trip up the states. It, it, will the governors uh, be invited to testify before this uh, commission that the president's created? Well, that's a good question. I wouldn't think we would, but we'll see. Uh, I know certainly there would be a lot of good ones that could really speak to this and uh, you know, just convince them that this is a terrible idea. And, I, you know, uh, it's really pretty surprising to me that President Biden, who talked on this you know, first day in office of uniting the country, continues to do things like this. 
you know, filing lawsuits against election integrity acts and, you know, not securing the border, raising taxes, you know, raising, you know, adding more regulations. Uh, I don't think that's uniting the country at all. In fact, I think it's further dividing it. But, you know, that's what we have to continue to do is talk about the issues and talk as Republicans as to what we're for and what we want to do. And that's that's what I plan on doing over the next couple of years in my reelection campaign. Well, Governor, I appreciate you joining us today. And again, uh, I do appreciate your leadership on this election integrity effort and for uh, staying there and standing strong and not uh, backing down as the left has thrown just about everything they could at you. Well, we're going to keep fighting, Tony. Thanks for having me on. God bless. All right. Have a great Fourth of July weekend. Governor Brian Kemp of uh, Georgia. And uh, it's got to be as his team digs through this court case. And uh, we're going to talk with Jay Christian Adams a little bit later about it. I think it's uh, it's tremendous shot in the arm for those who actually want fair and free elections. Now, for those who want fraud uh, and those that want to be able to manipulate the election outcomes. Well, yeah, it's a bad case. So see who's squealing. All right. When we come back, uh, President Joe Biden. The greatest threat to America. What is it? Well, according to uh, according to President Biden, it's climate change. Really, when Russia is doing war games 35 miles off of uh, the Hawaiian coast, sinking aircraft carriers, with uh, Chinese Communist Party leader threatening to bash heads. We're going to talk about it next with Congressman. That's next. Don't go away. When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for his kingdom, to grow us and to bring us closer to him. God's word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org slash Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in his image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps. 
Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview. You're listening to Washington Watch. Glad to have you with us. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, earlier today, last night, the uh, Communist Party of China hosted a ceremony in Beijing's Tiananmen Square to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Chinese Party, the Communist Party. In his speech, the party leader, Xi Jinping, talked about how socialism saved and developed China and how his party will be strengthening its military to a world-class military, he says. He also issued a grave warning to other countries. Uh, This is what he said. The Chinese people will absolutely not allow any foreign force to bully, oppress, or enslave us, or anyone who attempts to do so will face broken heads and bloodshed in front of the Iron Great Wall of the 1.4 billion Chinese people. Does he mean business? Is China a growing threat? We're going to talk about it with uh, Congressman Mike Waltz, who represents Florida's 6th Congressional District. He currently serves on the House Armed Services Committee. He is also a colonel in the National Guard, a combat-decorated Green Beret, and a former Pentagon advisor. Congressman Waltz, welcome back to the program. Hey, good to be with you, Tony. Now, I know this is the land where we uh, got the art of war from Sun Tzu. Uh, Is this bluster or should we be listening what the communist Chinese leader is saying? Well, I think it's both. It's bluster uh, for his own domestic audience. Uh, But the capabilities that Chinese are developing from a military sense are very serious. I don't think a lot of Americans fully appreciate that the Chinese Navy is larger than the U.S. Navy now. They're cranking out ships uh, at a rate of one about every six weeks or five to one in terms of comparing it to the United States. Uh, And further, they can concentrate their ships in the Western Pacific. Ours are spread all over the world. But uh, the piece that has me even more concerned than that is what they're doing in space. Uh, They've launched more into space than the rest of the world combined. Uh, the last two years, and they've developed weapons to be able to take our satellite constellations out. Why is that so serious? Well, our entire modern economy uh, is dependent on those constellations up there from telecommunications to real-time logistics, uh, agriculture, finance, uh, you name it, weather. uh, It's all dependent, but ours is older, uh, less defendable, bigger, 
uh, and easier to, to, to take down. So those two things alone have me incredibly concerned. Uh, we're not making the investments that we need, uh, frankly, in the, in the Biden administration is taking us backwards uh, after four good years of catch up uh, under the previous administration. Quick uh, other piece to that. Uh, it is our money. It is Americans' money that is financing uh, our greatest adversary that I think we've ever faced. Uh, whether that's Wall Street sending money to Beijing, allowing their companies to be listed on our stock exchange, even though they don't uphold to our financial standards, uh, our retirement plans, even our stimulus checks. If you think about where did that $2,000 per person go, it went through Walmart, through Amazon, and through other uh, entities right into Chinese manufacturing. And I think if anything COVID showed us, was that we have to bring those supply chains back home. The Chinese have deliberately, as a matter of state policy, created dependencies, whether that's uh, key minerals, computer chips, or even mass gowns in our pharmaceutical industry so that they can choke those key materials off uh, if we don't agree with them or if they don't get their way. Uh, so I think we need a real wake-up call, uh, Tony, as a country. And what I'm asking all Americans is if you pick something up and you see made in China, put it back down. Uh, it needs to say made in America. That's not just a jobs thing. That's a national security thing uh, going forward. I also believe, if I'm not mistaken, I was looking through this, um, that China gets about a billion dollars, I think, from the, the World Bank. Uh, supposedly to lift people out of poverty, uh, America puts in about a billion dollars into the uh, to the World Bank. Um, how, how is it that they are an economy that, that's a, are about to overtake ours? And according to uh, the communist leader, Xi Jinping, uh, China will soon have the world's greatest fighting force. We're funding it. We are funding it. Uh, it's, it's through the World Bank. Uh, it's through, you know, again, through... The manufacturing that's left the United States and is sitting over there uh, through our trade deficit that President Trump uh, was trying to wrestle and, and take on. Uh, you know, even though even this one really blows my mind, the military's retirement plan, uh, its 401k plan called the Thrift Savings Plan, uh, $700 billion in assets, uh, is investing into Beijing. Uh, so here we have our soldiers and sailors sending money into, you know, back home out of their paycheck into retirement. It's going right back over into the shipyards, uh, aerospace companies, uh, and uh, robotics companies that are listed on the Beijing Stock Exchange. It literally uh, is our money that's financing uh, our greatest industry. And it's not just that pension plan, 22 state pension plans invest heavily into the Beijing exchange. So it is our taxpayer dollars that are flowing over there. And then on top of that, uh, they're stealing our research. They're stealing, uh, you know, the most advanced algorithms, advanced materials, nanoelectronics, uh, nanotechnology, uh, that our taxpayer dollars are funding in our universities and research institutions to develop the latest and greatest technologies, the Chinese just steal it right out the back door, uh, either through American professors that are double dipping through cyber or through flooding these institutions with Chinese students who then vacuum this technology up. That The Chinese government calls them non-traditional collectors. Uh, so it, it's just across the board. They have flooded the zone with their money, 
through the mechanisms to steal technology. Uh, and uh, we, again, we have to wake up as a country. They have declared a cold war on the United States uh, uh, years ago, and we've just been asleep at the switch. Fortunately, President Trump started to shift the, the huge federal institutions, agencies, Wall Street, sports, others uh, in the right direction. And now Biden's just moving us backwards. Um, Congressman Waltz, we're up against a break, but I want you to stay right there because I want to finish this conversation because I have one word to describe what we're doing. It's called insanity. Why would we do this? Uh, I want to yeah. talk about that next and also might try to touch on Russia because uh, Vladimir Putin also issuing some threats to the U.S. What's behind it? Why this uh, foreign aggression all of a sudden? Did they see something? We're going to talk about it next. Folks, stay with us. Congressman Mike Waltz of Florida represents the 6th Congressional District down there. He's with us next. Hope you stay around. Don't go away. Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org slash blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org slash blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAND to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. My guest, Congressman Mike Waltz of uh, Florida, member of the House Armed Services Committee, a colonel in the National Guard, and a uh, Green Beret, decorated, uh, served, uh, I think, 25 years. Uh, Mike, you have, you've served 25 years in the Army, haven't you? I'm, I, I just hit 25 years, and I'm, I'm still going, still jumping out of perfectly right. good airplanes. Yeah, I, I stayed on the ground. Uh, thank you for your service, and uh, thanks for joining us. I, um, I, I want to move on to Russia, but I, I got a few more questions on China. Uh, 
There, there's some commonalities between Russia and China, and one that I focus on a lot is their religious persecution. China, China, of course, outshines them all when it comes to the persecution of religious minorities, but Russia is working hard to catch up to them. Uh, of course, my... Uh, my talking about China uh, has uh, earned me the sanction of uh, China. They sanctioned me, but uh, don't have to worry about going to China anytime soon. The the other aspect, you didn't mention this, and this is the looks like an expansion of their nuclear capabilities. Commercial satellites yes. have revealed about 116 new silos for ICBMs. Is that another part of him, of uh, Xi Jinping strengthening their military? No, that's absolutely right. Their uh, nuclear modernization uh, is in full force uh, across the board from, uh, from new long-range bombers to new uh, uh, submarines capable of launching ICBMs and then their actual ground-based ICBMs in western China. They're looking to double the size of their nuclear uh, enterprise. Uh, it will not uh, come near ours in size, but you don't need – you know, uh, that many nukes, uh, right, to, to hold, hold the world at bay and to establish uh, their own form of deterrence. But what is new is that they are modernized, uh, while ours is, uh, you know, approaching anywhere from 30 to 70 years old. Uh, and, uh, you know, we are woefully behind in modernizing our capabilities. You know, one, the one of theirs that is, uh, you know, most concerning is called hypersonics. Think of an ICBM that goes on a predictable arc. Uh, you know, with that geometry, we can develop capabilities to intercept it. A hypersonic uh, vehicle is maneuverable on a glide path. Uh, that can, uh, one, uh, is very difficult to detect, and then number two, it falls at speeds that are almost impossible for our missile defenses to take out. So all of those things are, are you know, again, adds to the mix of uh, what Chinese are doing militarily. And what has me, you know, very frustrated with Biden, at least this week, is that today we shut down our only air base, which is in Afghanistan, uh, that it borders Western China. Oh, by the way, it also borders uh, Southern Russia and Eastern Iran, uh, right? So uh, that's our only base in the region. Uh, it has been traditionally used to go after half the world's terrorist organizations, al-Qaeda, ISIS, and others in Afghanistan. So we'll have to deal with that terrorism threat. But it also is strategically located with great power competition for all three of uh, uh, three out of our four greatest adversaries. Well, speaking of Russia, yesterday, uh, Vladimir Putin on a uh, televised Q&A speaking, taking questions from uh, Russians. I'm sure it was uh, not staged, but he um, he's, he warned the U.S. saying that world dom their world dominance, our world dominance is over and threatened to strike back if any, quote unquote, boundaries are crossed. I'm sensing, I'm seeing a, a new aggression from our foreign adversaries is am I alone in that? Are we seeing this? And is it because they perceive weakness in America's leadership? Well, this is this is going to be a repeat of exactly what we saw uh, under Obama, because you know basically the number twos and number threes uh, in the various agencies under the Obama administration are now the number ones and number twos. It's the same people with the same philosophy. Number one, you know they believe that if we're nice to our adversaries, they'll be nice to us back. 
Uh, and number two, you know, the goal is to get people uh, to the table, to the negotiating table, and they're willing to concede whatever, you know, they have to to get to that negotiation. And our adversaries smell weakness. Uh, they see opportunity and advantage. Uh, and that's what I think you're seeing happen now uh, around the world. You know, it's a, it's a weakening of deterrence. They knew President Trump would hit him back and hit him back hard. We have the capability, but, you know, do you have the political will? Uh, and, uh, you know, they smell weakness in the White House right now. And with regard to, to Russia, that's more of a Putin problem than it is a Russia problem. And I say that because the fundamentals of Russia are inherently uh, weak and getting weaker. Their population is declining by 2050. It'll be smaller than Bangladesh. Uh, their their economy is incredibly poorly run by, you know, basically it's a criminal enterprise. Uh, they're wholly dependent on fossil fuels. But, you know, Putin is a master poker player that plays, you know, a pair of sixes or eights, you know, like a, like a royal flush. Uh, he's completely... Uh, with Biden's acquiescence, now created dependencies in Western Europe with the with the Nord Stream pipeline. He sidelined our, our you know great allies in Poland and the Ukraine uh, by doing so. He's modernized as well key elements of his nuclear uh, enterprise. His conventional military is relatively poorly manned and trained, but he can get away with a lot with modern nuclear uh, weapons. So he's playing a weak hand very well. Uh, and yeah. again, when 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 deterrence isn't established, when we don't have peace through strength and they smell weakness in the White House, they can get away with it. That's right. And uh, e even though he has a weak hand, sometimes that leads to some desperate actions um, and That's taking right. risk that others may not. Uh, Congressman Mike Walt, so great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Always great to have you. All right. Thanks so much. Talk. All right, folks, stick with us. Election reform on the other side of the break. You don't want to miss this. Stick with us. What is religious freedom and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash IRF to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom. Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray, Vote, Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation. 
to stand for truth and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good that, uh, so good to have you with us. I hope you have big plans for the weekend, 4th of July weekend, 245th birthday celebration of the nation. Um, I, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to talk about this on, on Monday. I'm going to have uh, Dr. Carson join me. So you want to tune in on Monday because I'm going to compare kind of this, the, the 1619 project from the New York Times and the 1776 Commission. There are really two diametrically opposed views moving forward in America. And, you know, for 245 years, we've celebrated uh, July 4th, really the second when it was signed, July the 4th, 1776, as the, the birth of our nation. Now, all of a sudden, we're told we've been celebrating the wrong day. It's actually in 1619. Anyway, we're going to talk about that on Monday. Uh, to this afternoon, uh, I want to turn now to this issue of election reform. Now, yesterday, the Pennsylvania governor vetoed, and the governor is uh, a Democrat, Tom Wolf. He vetoed a Republican-backed election overhaul bill that would have expanded voter identification requirements. Now, I was just thinking about this yesterday. I was actually in line at a um, uh, gas c- convenience store. All right, I was getting a non-coke fountain drink okay and uh, so i was in line to pay for it and there was a, a a woman a minority woman in front of me and she wanted to get um cigarettes and so they asked her for an id and she willfully pulled out her id and showed them the id to make the purchase and i was thinking i was literally sitting there thinking about wow you know you got to have an id to buy alcohol, to buy tobacco, uh, you know, all these different things you have to have an ID for. So why the big fit that the left is having over having to have an ID and prove you are who you say you are when you go, when it comes to voting? This, I talked about this a while back, but we had uh, some major election fraud in Louisiana back in the late 90s, mid-90s. 1996, to be exact. And there was some corruption. Ended up, uh, we were able to eliminate the commissioner of election because there was corruption there. 
and uh, put it under the Secretary of State as a nonpartisan office, uh, cleaned up the elections. And one of the things we did was a photo ID requirement for voters. And guess what? We've not had major fraud in Louisiana in the last 20 years. Makes sense, doesn't it? So the uh, legislature there in Pennsylvania passing the measure, but the governor vetoing it. Now the legislature, which is uh, majority Republican, but not a supermajority, not enough to override the veto of the governor, are saying that they may put this forward to the citizens of Pennsylvania to decide for themselves, which would be good. This is a big deal. I was speaking to a group last night. It's one of the issues that came up. How do we how do we know that our 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 votes are going to count? Should we just give up? Absolutely not. We have states across the nation that are working diligently, legislatures that are taking this effort on. And today, the Supreme Court decision is going to be a shot in the arm to that effort. I mean, there are, I believe, at least 14 states in this legislative season that have enacted about 22 different laws that protect the integrity of voting. Now, it started out, there's like 30, I'm sorry, there's like 48 that introduced him at the beginning of the session, and there was a total of about 360 different laws. Of course, you never end up with what you start with, but 14 states have actually enacted them. Now, you had some situations like Pennsylvania where you got split government, where you've got Republicans in the legislature working to fix this, or a majority of Republicans, and you've got a Democratic governor that obviously wants to protect fraud and deceit, and so they veto the bills. Can't give up. Got to keep got to keep trying. And so today, the Supreme Court, as we were talking about earlier uh, with uh, Governor Kemp, it uh, in fact, this is kind of interesting. This is a, uh, a USA Today article uh, talking about today's decision. Uh, and I'm just going to read you the first paragraph. It says, a divided Supreme Court on Thursday upheld a controversial Arizona law that limits how voters may return absentee ballots weighing into a raging national debate over voting rights by curbing the landmark 1965 Voting Rights Act for the second time in less than a decade. Now, a divided court. What was the decision? It was six to three. Um, If it were a liberal ruling, that would not be considered a divided court. You know, a divided court is five to four. A six to three decision is, uh, quite frankly, not that divided in this court and in this world. But it shows where the media and where the left is. Uh, and uh, do we have our guest? Do we have uh, Do we have Jay Christian Adams with us? Okay. All right. We're, we're, we're working to connect with uh, Jay Christian Adams. He's the president and general counsel of uh, the Public Interest legal foundation who has been working on a number of uh, these reform efforts, in fact, was a part of some of the challenges coming out of last fall's election. So he's going to, I know he's busy uh, giving analysis on today's uh, Supreme Court decision, but um, he's going to help us break it down. Now, this uh, dealt with really kind of two things in 
Arizona, and they were they were pre-existing. These were not challenges to laws that they just passed. These were laws that go back to uh, 2013. One uh, was a law that was passed in 2016 that uh, prohibits unions and advocacy organizations from collecting voters' mail-in ballots. Now, this is what is called ballot harvesting. Under this, there's supposed to be a chain of custody in which when you fill out a ballot, you can designate one person like a family member or a guardian to take that ballot. But you you just can't go door to door knocking on doors collecting ballots. Well, that's what happened in last November's election. Some of it was done through these, um, well, actually in Pennsylvania, one of the reasons they're addressing it in Philadelphia, through the donations of Mark Zuckerberg that went to this uh, nonprofit that allowed, that gave 2,500 different grants to election um, uh, entities where they were able to hire people. And in Philadelphia in particular, they hired people to go door to door to deliver ballots and pick those ballots up. They were activists that they hired. It was done, quote unquote, legally, according to the, 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 the individuals casting the votes did not cast illegal votes but it was done outside the limits of the Constitution in the way the election should be done. And so uh, that's called ballot harvesting. It's a very controversial thing. California actually legalized it uh, a few years back, and it's what really shifted the elections in 2018 in California, where I think it was six Republican uh, congressional seats were lost. Now, uh, conservatives kind of learned from that and did a little bit of their own collecting ballots at churches in the last election cycle in 2020. But this practice uh, was outlawed by Arizona, and so it was challenged, and the Supreme Court said they have a right to do this. They have a right to ensure that elections are fair and free, and this is a common-sense um, measure to put into uh, to place. So uh, this is good news. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, one of the sections of law that was addressed in here is uh, the same section which is being challenged by um, the DOJ and Georgia's election law. Uh, so um, all in all, this is really, really good news uh, when it comes to uh, election and election reform efforts that are moving forward in the uh, the various states across the nation. Uh, as uh, Alito, who wrote the majority opinion, he said the states have a legitimate interest in passing voting laws in an effort to prevent fraud. Uh, as he said, he said, fraud can affect the outcome of a close election, and fraudulent votes dilute the right of citizens to cast ballots that carry appropriate weight. Fraud can also undermine public confidence in the fairness of elections and the perceived legitimacy of the announced outcome. Boy, isn't that true? That's what, you know, I would say close to a majority of Americans think about the November election because of the questions surrounding it. And that's why this is so important, what is happening at the state level. Now, the Democrats and S-1 and H-R-1, which they've been, uh, they, they, they pushed last week, didn't get the votes. This is the federal takeover. What they want to do is prohibit all of this and lock in place these tactics that they've used to um, 
ensure that they retain power. All right. I think we have our guests now. Uh, um, oh, we got Brent. Uh, uh, Brent Kylan, uh, FRC Action, uh, joins us. He's been looking at this case. Uh, Brent, welcome to the program. Hey, Tony. Good to be with you today. Well, let's uh, let's first. I want to get your reaction to the Supreme Court decision um, on the ballot harvesting out of Arizona. Well, Tony, this is a really significant case. Um, we have we saw this issue uh, pop up uh, going back even to California back in uh, 2018. And um, this was an issue we saw um, that uh, yet yeah, played out in some congressional districts. Uh, we had some um, races that thought they were looked like they were going to go one way, ended up going the other way. And then we saw um, uh, kind of further uh, this play out in, in additional states last year. Uh, so many states changed election laws and just kind of loosened things up. Uh, and then obviously we had some concerns with the integrity of the elections um, and just the results in a, in a number of key states. And so uh, the ballot harvesting issue is one of the ones that's been at the forefront. A lot of these states trying to get out in front of this. And so this really has uh, significant uh, national implications. Um, I, I mentioned Pennsylvania because you had the governor vetoed uh, the reform measure that the state legislature that is a majority Republican put forward. What other uh, states, and we're kind of on the tail end of state legislatures meeting, what other uh, initiatives have been successful this year? Did I, did I lose you, Brent? Hey, how's that, Tony? Am I coming through? Yep, I got you now. Yep. All right, there we go. Um, We've actually seen some very encouraging success on this topic across the country. Um, Actually, our count shows right now that there have been 389 bills uh, introduced in in 48 states. So almost in all 50 states, uh, 389 bills have been introduced to strengthen uh, election integrity. Those cover a a number of different aspects of election integrity, depending on what you uh, state that is and the the needs there. But also, it's not just that these bills are getting introduced, uh, they're, they're getting passed. In, in many cases, signed into law. You mentioned, you know, the governor in, in Pennsylvania vetoing that. That's very unfortunate. But in a lot of these uh, key states, that has not happened. And some of the um, some of the most significant ones are states like Georgia. You know, Georgia was so close in the the, the presidential contest. You know, a lot of us followed that that um, scenario. Uh, play itself out for, you know, the the weeks following and even months following the election. And then they had the two Senate runoffs, again, very close. Uh, Georgia is a key state for them to strengthen their election law, and they did that. Also, Florida. Florida is another state, um, you know, key swing state. Every presidential race, uh, all these statewide races, they got a strong election integrity uh, bill passed there, Tony. And those are just a couple of states. We have uh, states like Texas, which is becoming more of a more of a swing state. Um, The governor there, Governor Abbott, for this special session, he has made sure that election integrity is on the on the agenda for that. So those are just a couple of the key ones. But there are actually even other states that that I'm not mentioning here, but that have actually signed this, passed this, and got it signed into law, which is very, very encouraging. And 
a lot of that happens because uh, people are encouraging their state legislators and their state leaders to to solve these problems, and uh, that's where people need to continue to push. The solution is not going to come from Washington. Mm-hmm. This is a state-based right. problem, and the solution comes from the state as well. Brent Kylan, thanks so much that's for right. uh, joining us. Thanks, Tony. Good to be with you. All right. Brent Kylan, uh, FRC Action, stepping in there when uh, we didn't get Jay Christian Adams. Something came up there. But this is an important issue. So continue to communicate with your state elected officials and push back against your congressmen and your senators if they feel like the federal government needs to solve this problem because the federal government created the problem. The Democratic Party is pushing to federalize elections, which will put it out of your reach and the reach of state legislatures to fix it. We've had years of issues come up with elections, just as we've had issues, you know, a lot of issues in our country. But when you have 50 laboratories of democracy, you have a better chance of fixing it. Because when something works in one state, guess what? Another state will pick it up and do it. That's why leadership at the state level is so important. All right, folks, I want to thank you for joining us. Out of time for today. And I encourage you to check out the website, TonyBerkins.com. Lots of resources resources there for you. And uh, until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.